Back to Basics, a complete Back to Basic program recorded live during the Back to Basic study by Tim B. Okay, so my name is Tim and I am an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I qualify for any 12-step fellowship you can think of. I can go. So uh, that being the case, uh, we are going to do step one tonight. This is uh, night one of uh, 12 consecutive weeks, uh, one step per week. We are on doctor's opinion, Roman numeral 25, XXV. All right, here we go. We of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. Convincing testimony must surely come from medical men. What kind of medical men? Those who have had experience with the sufferings of our members and have witnessed our return to health, meaning not your dermatologist. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. So this letter was written by Dr. Silkworth in 1938, July 27th, 1938. To whom it may concern, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. So all alcoholics and addicts must understand to get any sort of traction that they're hopeless. And that is an extension off of the powerless word. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, which means what? 12-step work. Once you get it, your job now, your sole purpose in life is to pass it on. That's, that's, that's after you've gotten sober, the only way to stay sober is to perform step 12 repeatedly, indefinitely. Rinse and repeat, right? <clears throat> this has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. Recovered, is that the same as cured? No. no. Cured would mean that you are no longer an alcoholic. So if you're recovered, what are you recovered from? A seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Right. So the doctor saw this man, Bill Wilson, as hopeless. But in actuality, there is a solution. So it's only seemingly hopeless. It appears hopeless. I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom other methods had failed completely. These facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibilities of rapid growth inherent in this group. They may mark a new epoch in the annals of alcoholism. An epoch is a period of time made special by someone or something. 
a time that is made special by someone or something. In other words, coming up with this recipe could be an epoch in, in the human condition. In other words, a big friggin' deal, right? That's a, that's a different way of looking. Right, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. These, these men may well have a remedy for thousands of such situations. You may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves that does not include the stock market. It's only about themselves. It's not about advice on where you should shop, right? It's about their experience. You can have full faith in what they say about their experience. Very truly yours, Dr. William D. Silkworth, MD. Dr. Silkworth was the uh, medical director at Towns Hospital, an upscale uh, detox in the, uh, in the 30s. And uh, that's where uh, Bill Wilson originally got um, uh, some of the message. All right, so let's continue here. Um, the physician who at our request gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe, must believe. That means that this next part's going to be important, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as the mind. This is revolutionary for uh, the mid-30s. At the time, it was believed, and sometimes you'll even get this debate right now, that alcoholism, addiction, any of the various ways of um, uh, being controlled by something is only a function of the mind. That if you just pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, you'd get yourself in, in, in check. It's a weak character that's causing it. So th that was the primary way of looking at it. Dr. Silkworth is re revolutionary in saying it's not only a mental situation, it's also physical. And that's where he uses the, the uh, imagery of an allergy. He uses the imagery of phenomenon of craving, observable craving. Once the substance or the uh, event, the rush goes in, it creates a, uh, a, change, a chemical change in, inside that person. And that's what makes them different than the, the rest of the uh, uh, population. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us. But we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. So there it is. It's a twofold illness, mental, physical. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As layman, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. 
So that could mean outpatient, inpatient, uh, you just work with your primary care physician, whatever it is, it's recommending that in many cases, most cases, doing medical combined with it, with the spiritual as well as altruistic plane. What is an altruistic plane? That of giving of oneself with no expectation of return, right? More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he can, as he then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. The doctor writes, this is a second letter. This is a follow-up letter now. The subject presented in this book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was, therefore, a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. Here's the premier guy in alcohol and drug addiction saying that this is a masterly produced document, a masterly produced textbook. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology, changing of one's mind, right? Switching of somebody's mind was of urgent importance to alcoholics. But now here's his dilemma, right? Here's the problem. But its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. In other words, they understood what needed to happen, but didn't know how to elicit it. Didn't know how to make it happen. The whole purpose of the 12 steps is to cause it to happen. It's a recipe. If you want to bake a cake and they tell you these are the ingredients, if you follow the ingredients, you get the cake at the end. Right. The doctor saying, I understand that you need the cake, but I didn't know how to get the cake. With our ultra modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. So. Uh, he's talking about the powers outside of synthetic knowledge would be powers of the spirit, of the cosmos, of the unseen, that misty, foggy thing that we can sometimes discuss, right? Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital. And while here, he acquired some ideas which he put into practical uh, application at once. So it's not... It's not okay to just get clean. It's not okay to just get sober. The only real value of that is what you do with it. We do the first 11 steps to do good 12-step work. That's the only way it really works long-term. That's the altruistic movement. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here. And with some misgiving, we consented. Who's we? It's Dr. Silkworth and the owner of the hospital, Charles Towns. This, the case we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. 
the unselfishness, 12-step work, the unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit, fellowship, is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power, capital P. It's their, their envisioned higher power, right? Their envisioned, something that is uh, not really uh, tangible, which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of hell. <laughs> gates of death. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. An allergy is something that causes an abnormal reaction in a small segment of the population, right? It would be normal if many people got the reaction, but when a small uh, segment gets it, it's an allergy, right? That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never, did everybody hear that? Never occurs in the average, average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human. So the solution is beyond things human. We are beyond, and we'll see later on when we define alcoholic addict, we are beyond human aid. You're not going to figure your way out of this, right? Uh, and uh, the other point it's making there is that once an addict, always an addict. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Once a pickle, never a cucumber again. You can't go backwards, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Frothy emotional appeals seldom suffice, including the judge, the spouse, your kids, your job. It, in general, is not going to be enough. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. So it's uh, the idea that it's of a spiritual nature, the idea that it's progressive, the idea that it's fatal, the idea that there's only three, if you don't get the solution, there are only three outcomes, jails, institutions, or death. It's, 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 there's your depth and weight, right? In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. <clears throat> so concrete, tangible action is the, is the uh, part of the recipe. 
If any feel that as psychiatrists directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental, let them stand with us a while on the firing line, see the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children, let the solving of these problems become a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments. And the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. In other words, the combining of medical with spiritual. We feel after many years of experience that we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing up among them. So here's the director of a hospital saying, I don't have the complete answer. When you combine my stuff with their stuff, it's the greatest combination. Men, that's written in 39. I think it would be very safe to say you could very easily write that in 2016, right? Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented. Unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. So it's saying originally when we felt ir restless, irritable, and discontented, it made perfect sense to have a couple of drinks and relax. That's what normal people do. That's what the, the non-allergic people do. So unless we find a way of getting that feeling back without booze, we're screwed. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do. And so that's the mental part, right? They succumb to the desire again. Mental obsession tells you, you know what? It really wasn't so bad. You know, I, I, you know, I used to drink straight booze. Now I'm going to drink like, you know, Coors Light, right? So mentally, it's going to bring me back there. And then... And the phenomenon of craving develops. So the allergy kicks in and I'm going to run the spree to the end, right? I'm going to clean out the bank account. I'm going to drive drunk. I'm going to, it doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm going to call in sick. All of that is secondary to the primary. What's the primary? To get the sense of ease and comfort, to get rid of restless, irritable, and discontented. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, the drunk, right? The, the run, uh, you know, I'm buying an eight ball now in, you know, in South Jamaica, right? I, I've got to go full boat. <clears throat> I don't have money for the rent, but I, I, I got an eight ball. I'm good. <coughs> Emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, that's the purpose of the steps, to get a complete 
shift in our perspective of life. A psychic change is to do a 180. I used to look at the world in one way through one set of glasses, and now I do it in a completely different way. I shift from what does the world owe me? What can I get from the world? Who can I screw? Who owes me that position? Who owes me that money? To what can I pack into the stream of life? What can I do for others? That's the psychic change. That's the getting on board with the altruistic movement. <coughs> there is, without the entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. On the other hand, and strange as it may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, he despaired of ever, ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required to being that required to follow a few simple rules. The few simple rules are those 12. And the idea is you have no, if you're an alcoholic, and we're going to define it in a minute, you have no, you're powerless over alcohol. Step one, we were, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, dash, that our, second part, that our lives had become unmanageable. It means whatever we, however we try to manage it, it will not work. We've lost control. This by definition means we have no choice over whether we drink or not. If you're powerless over it, you have no choice. It's only in the solution of getting the psychic change that you find yourself suddenly and easily able to control your desire for alcohol. But you have to follow a few simple rules. So your choice that you have is whether you do this or you don't. If you don't do this and you get crap results, you chose that. Men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it often is not enough. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. So terrific. So like he, he's, he's got it, right? That's the answer. But still, you don't get it by self Not You don't get it with that information. That's terrific. You walk out of here and say, yeah, yeah, you got to get a psychic change. Well, how do you get it? You have to do that, right? This is all philosophical, theoretical, conversational, college class. Good stuff. Terrific. You get nothing out of it. It's all about doing it. It's a verb. It's action. It's sweat. Though the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable, we physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. And when they say uh, uh, many types, it means real addicts and real uh, alcoholics will not respond to talk therapy alone. That would be a part of a whole. Right. 
I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely of mental control. I have many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date. And that, so mental obsession, mentally that brought them back to the booze. And then the phenomena of craving, the physical, at once became paramount. In other words, it trumps everything. I don't care my wife said she's going to leave me. I'm still going to go through it. I'm going to try and get away with it. I'm going to try and fake it, but I'm going to do it anyway. At once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. Means no choice. Means powerless. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomena of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. What's the supreme sacrifice? Death, right? They'll go all the way to drive the car off the cliff, uh, uh, you know, cirrhosis of the liver, uh, OD in the bathroom. You got it, right? The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. It's some in this room, I'll bet you, right? So let's read that again. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit he cannot take a drink. And sometimes they'll hide behind, my problem was crack. I don't have a problem with Coors Light, right? We're going to deal with that one. Not right now. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, that he can take a drink without danger. That was me. I tried that experiment. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. Most people identify with that guy. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common. This is important. They cannot start drinking or using without developing the phenomena of craving. That is the allergy. That is the physical part. They are going to run it to the end. This phenomenon, <clears throat> as we have suggested, may be manifest, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. I underline this next sentence twice. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. No matter what Malibu rehab tells you, in, no matter what they tell you. I know acupuncture is good, but right. 
the so and then now I highlighted this. I underlined the last <laughs> line. I highlighted this one. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. That means from all mind and mood altering substances. This immediate precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. We could probably have one here right now. I won't let you do it though. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. What is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. About one year prior to this experience, a man who brought who was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism, didn't read that right, he had been partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might to say, to drink. He frankly admitted that Excuse me. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. That's good, right? Hopelessness is good because the channel is open. You're ready for help, right? Coming in here skipping and chewing gum, is that's not the greatest position to be in. You Better if you're drooling. Success rate goes up, right? Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partly recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought to, in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis. We do that a lot, don't we? And uh, deciding his situation hopeless, good, right? Had hidden in a deserted barn, determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition, brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation, means detox, right? He had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort. Unless I could assure him, which no one had, no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. And what we see is, is that self-will, determination, willpower, will not work. If, our, if we are true addicts and alcoholics, we've moved beyond human aid. We've moved beyond determination. Grunt down hard and get through it. We've moved beyond it. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his de de depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called moral psychology, and we doubted if even that would have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book, meaning the altruistic movement, meaning, meaning doing the first 11 steps to then go out and do good 12-step work indefinitely, permanently. 
He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is as fine a specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through. And though perhaps he came to scoff, some may have come to scoff tonight, he may remain to pray. William D. Silkworth, MD. Okay, that was doctor's opinion. It describes to us the twofold illness, sort of sets the stage that the importance of having a psychic change and the understanding that you only achieve in a 12-step program, the only way you achieve a psychic change is through doing the 12 steps, which is what we're going to do over the next 12 weeks, right? Okay, so uh, let's turn to page 30. This is Lori's favorite page. <clears throat> let's look at paragraph two. So we see what it says about step one. Um, we admitted we are powerless over alcohol. This is imperative that you don't feel that you're not here. If you're here feeling as though you can control it on your own through self-will, through determination, through writing in your diary that you're not going to drink or you're not going to smoke crack tomorrow. You're, you're, you're not on board yet. You're not there yet. You need to surrender to the idea that you are powerless over uh, uh, booze or drugs, booze and drugs, right? Uh, and the idea that if we are powerless over something, the solution is going to be to find the power, right? And if you are powerless over it, whatever machination you do, and we'll read one on page 31, whatever machination you do to control your drinking, to manage it, will not work. Paragraph two. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. So if someone says to you, where's step one in the big book? Where is it? Page 30, second paragraph, first line. That is step one. Now we see the shade, how it's written right there, page 59, the 12 steps are mapped out that way. But if you're taking the steps in the big book, page 30, and we would switch that into a question. We're going to do it at the end, but just uh, you get to hear it twice then. I would switch this to a question after I gave the guy a lot more ancillary data, right? More stuff from the big book. I would change this into a question. Do you fully concede to your innermost self that you are an alcoholic? Now, before we would do that, we'd want to define alcoholic. We want to define unmanageability. We're going to do that next, but we're going to come back to that. That is step one. Says it right there. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, that we're the same, or presently maybe, has to be smashed, crushed, eliminated, gone, over. You have to be fully on board. Step one is the only step that needs 100% belief, 100% on board. You have to be convinced 100% to continue to go to two. Then there's some flexibility. You know, I got that one 90%. Yeah, okay, fine. But on one, you need 100% that you are powerless and that all of your self-will in the world, which may work, with your discipline with going to the gym, which may work with the amount of money that you save on each paycheck, which may work with you getting your promotion at work, won't work here. You're using the wrong method to solve a problem that's beyond human aid. Good. 
Um, so let's go uh, next paragraph. We alcoholics are men and women who have the who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic, italicized, ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And that's usually the, that's usually what brings us for medical help, right? Outpatient, inpatient, the, the psychiatrist, psychologist, group therapy, right? That's what usually gets us going. The judge, we're in front of the judge and we're all remorseful and I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, you know. Okay. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. So progressive means fatal. Progressive means only gets worse, never improves. Jails, institutions, or death. Those are your only choices. There's no D, right? Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Once an alcoholic, once an addict, no backsies. Once you say that you are it, can't change now. Can't, oh, gee, let me really think about that again. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, too late. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics our alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there have been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. So this happens all the time. So he says, something big happens in their life. Your spouse says they're going to leave you. You put down the crack pipe. You go six months and you go like, man, I'm a badass, man. I am not. I'm doing. I'm good. I'm good. And your mind will bring you back to it. It may bring you back to it via Coors Light. It may bring you back to you just go straight to South Jamaica. I don't know, but it's going to bring you back there. I'm not picking on South Jamaica. I'm just, okay, fine. Sorry. In some instances, did I read that? In some instances, there has been brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. I think I did. Physicians, what types of physicians? Podiatrists, right? No. no. Those who are familiar with alcoholism. Agree, there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So written in 1939, we can still say that in 2016, right? Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe that they are in that class. By every form of self-deception means lying, taking yourself out and experimentation. They will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Okay. So we're going to shift topics right now. We're going to go to the next paragraph, but we're going to shift topics right now. This is the second part of the step. And it's the unmanageability. What are some examples of unmanageability? Well, they can be self-imposed. I would say a DWI standing in front of the judge with your license being taken out of your wallet is probably unmanageability, right? Your spouse 
uh, going to live with their parents with the kids is probably unmanageability, right? Being forced into outpatient is probably unmanageability. Voluntarily coming to outpatient is probably unmanageability. Here's some more examples. Next paragraph. Here are some of the methods we have tried. To try to what? To manage our use or drinking. So these are the machinations we've done. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house, never drinking during business hours, drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We could increase the, the list ad infinitum. So those are examples of trying to fix a problem through human means. I tr I'm trying to control something I have no control over. I lost control at some point. Right? Okay, let's go to uh, page 33, please. First paragraph. <clears throat> Last three lines of this paragraph. So before you get on board with what I'm going to do, at the, we're all going to take this step tonight, whether you like it or not. But before you get on board with me, know this. Last three lines, paragraph one. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. And those of you who see themselves more as an addict than an alcoholic, we just change those words. You can't be thinking in your head you're not going to shoot heroin anymore and subconsciously saying wine's going to be okay doesn't work. Wasting your time. Go home now. Right? Get your bottom. Go get a bottom. Hurry up back. That's what that's saying. Don't milk it out. You, if you have any lurking notion that someday you will be able to do a casual line like you did in college, after you've become an addict, you're screwed. Once in, can't come back. Right? Once an addict, once I deem myself an addict, once I deem myself an alcoholic, no backsies. Okay, so uh, let's go page 34, please. We're going to read paragraphs one through three. As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our willpower. So in other words, you cross a line, there's an imaginary line, right? Where, you know, there's lots of people that did blow in college and they got married and they, you know, they got a job on Wall Street and they don't do it. Well, that's not a good example. <laughs> <laughs> they got a job in retail and decided to not do blow anymore. You know? Yeah, that happened. Uh, approximately 90% of hu the human population, 10% would be more apt to be the type that would be of our persuasion. 90% of people, that's the case. You know, the occasional, you know, once a year they do something. 
If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor, crack, alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remained sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. So it's saying even if you can stop at the moment, doesn't necessarily mean that you are not headed for true real alcoholism. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making the, their resolutions most of them within a few weeks. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. Every idiot can stop. How do you stay stopped? We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. So if you're sitting back there and you're saying, I keep pointing in the back, I don't know why. So if you're sitting back there uh, and, and you don't really have a desire to stop, it doesn't work. <laughs> We're in the wrong games though, right? <laughs> Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends on the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose. Remember I said we have no choice? Lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not, right? And I would venture to say, if you're here, I have proof you lost choice. You wouldn't be here. You would choose on your own to not use. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, right? Isn't this the tricky part about addiction? So many times our self-will gets us what we want. We just determine to do it and we do it. And in fact, I would venture to say that we're probably of a, of a type that our self-will actually works better than most people in certain areas. We look more determined than most people. When I'm committed to doing something, stay out of my way, man. I'm coming. I'm coming. Do not be in my way, right? But it won't work here. So it, it, it fakes you out. It's like, wow, I did that really hard thing. And Okay. Yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, underlined. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. No power, no choice. How then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking. For obviously, this is the crux of the problem. Why is it the crux of the problem? Because it's a moot point if you don't put it in your body. The, the, the physical part, the phenomenon of craving, is irrelevant. If you don't take in the substance, the phenomenon of craving can't kick in. The, 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 the physical part will never happen. But the crux of the problem is, is that the mental states that we get into mental obsession, the mental problem that we have as real alcoholics are going to lie to us.
It's going to convince, it's going to be very rational that the Coors Light that just came out with only 62 carbs is a good health product. Your mind is going to tell you that. What sort what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? And why is it the first drink? Because we haven't found a defense against the first drink until we do the 12, right? And then after you do the 12, you got to keep doing 12 to, to keep the defense. Friends who had friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? So we'll leave with that question there. And we're going to jump real quick to uh, page 44, paragraph 3. I'm sorry, page 43, paragraph 3. <clears throat> Almost done. So last couple of lines on the page. Everybody's good. Once more. Meaning, I've said it a bunch of times already. <laughs> the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. We're going to jump real quick because I want, to dis I want to define alcoholic as I see it in the book. Page 44. First paragraph. Fourth line down. If, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, meaning stop and stay stopped, or... If when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience with, will conquer. And how do we get the spiritual awakening or the spiritual experience? We do that. It's not rocket science. You know, it's not a mystery thing. Okay. Uh, I'm going to jump real quick to the 12 and 12. This is extra credit stuff. You do not need this. Every, this is all self-contained in the big book, but I happen to like it. And we got a couple of seconds here. I'm going to do it. Okay. Step one, who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that. Glass in hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession of dis for destructive drinking that only an act of providence, capital P, means in higher power, we're talking spiritual terms here, can remove it for us. No other kind of bankruptcy is like this one, meaning a bottom. Alcohol now became, uh, now become the rapacious creditor. Bleeds us of all self-sufficiency, self-will, no good, right? And all will, and all will to resist its demands. In other words, it's taken over. We are now praying at the altar of King Alcohol. Once this stark fact is accepted, in other words, buying into step one, we're powerless. Our bankruptcy as going human concerns is complete. You must accept 
the hopelessness of the powerlessness of your choice to drink or not and must have no lurking notion that at some time in 36 years, you'll be able to circle back. Good. But upon entering AA, we soon take quite another view of this absolute humiliation. We perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps towards liberation and strength. It's accepting the crushing of ego, the humiliation of being powerless over something is the door opening to solving the problem. We know that little good can come to any alcoholic who joins AA unless he has first accepted his devastating weaknesses and all its consequences until he so humbles himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious of real happiness. He will find none at all, proved beyond doubt by an immense experience. This is one of the facts of AA life the principle that we shall find no enduring strength unless we first admit complete defeat is the main taproot for which our whole society has sprung and flowered. In other words, it's all about the smashing of ego. When first challenged to admit defeat, most of us revolted. We had approached AA expecting to be taught self-confidence. Then we were told that so far as alcohol is concerned, self-confidence has no good whatever. In fact, it was a total liability. Trying to use your self-will to solve this problem is a total liability. Then we had been told that our sponsors declared that we were the victims of a mental obsession so subtly powerful that no amount of human willpower could break it. There was, they said, no such thing as the personal conquest of this compulsion by the unaided will, relentlessly deepening our dilemma. Our sponsors pointed out our increasing sensitivity to alcohol, an allergy they called it. The tyrant alcohol wielded a double-edged sword over us. First, we were smitten by an insane urge that condemned us to go on drinking and then by an allergy of the body that ensured we would ultimately destroy ourselves in the process. Few indeed were those who, so assailed, had ever won through in, through in single-handed combat. It was the statistical fact that alcoholics almost never recovered on their own resources. And this had been true, apparently, ever since man had first crushed grapes. This is not a new problem, right? In AA's pioneering time, none but the most desperate cases could swallow and digest in, unpalatable, in this unpalatable truth. Even these last gaspers often had difficulty in realizing how hopeless they actually were. Realizing you're hopeless in step one is very important. But a few did, and when these laid hold of AA principles with all the fervor with which the drowning, the drowning sees life preservers, they almost invariably got well. That is why the first edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, published when our membership was small, dealt with only low-bottom cases. 
Many less desperate alcoholics tried AA, but did not succeed because they could not make the admission of hopelessness. That's going to be a problem with some of us here. You still have two cars. You still have the spouse. You still have your job, right? It is a, tr it is a tremendous satisfaction to record that in the following years, this changed. Alcoholics who still had their health, their families, their jobs, and even two cars in the garage began to recognize their alcoholism. As this trend grew, they were joined by young people who were scarcely more than potential alcoholics. They were spared that last 10 or 15 years of literal hell the rest of us had gone through. Since step one requires an admission that our lives have become unmanageable, how could people such as these take this step? It was obviously necessary to raise the bottom. The rest of us had hit to the point where it would hit them. By going back in our drinking histories, we could show that years before we realized it, we were out of control and that our drinking even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. To the doubters, we could say, perhaps you're not an alcoholic after all. Why don't you try some more controlled drinking? Bearing in mind, meanwhile, what we have told you about alcoholism. This attitude brought immediate and practical results. So in other words, that's to get the convincer. That's to get them to decide, geez, I can't stop. That's, that's the hopelessness then, right? <clears throat> uh, following every spree, he would say to himself, maybe those AAs were right. After a few such experiences, Often years before the onset of extreme difficulties, he'd return to us convinced. He had hit bottom as truly as any of us. John Barleycorn, meaning booze, himself had been our best advocate. Why all this intense, in, excuse me, why all this insistence that every AA must hit bottom first? The answer is that few people will sincerely try to practice the AA program unless they have hit bottom. For practicing AA's remaining 11 steps means the adoption of attitudes and actions that almost no alcoholic who is still drinking can dream of taking. Who wishes to be rigorously honest and tolerant? Who wants to confess, confess his faults to another and make restitution for harm done? Who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer? Who wants to sacrifice time and energy in carrying AA's message to the next sufferer? No, the average alcoholic, self-centered in the extreme, doesn't care for this prospect unless he has to do these things in order to stay alive himself. So if you're hopeless and you need to get hope, you need to get the power, you will do these things. Under the lash of alcoholism, we are driven to AA, and there we discover the fatal nature of our situation. Then and only then do we become as open-minded to conviction and as willing to listen as the dying can be. We stand ready to do anything which will lift the merciless obsession from us. Okay, let's take step one, and you can go home and talk about me. <laughs> okay, we are going, we're going to do it two ways real quick. We're two minutes over here. 
So you can do it this way, and I'll just ask the group, and you're all going to say yes. And if you don't have yes to say, just be quiet. Um, so we can just change step one, as found on page 50, 59. Do you admit that you are powerless over alcohol and that your lives have become unmanageable? Yes. yes. That is a way of taking step one. You can turn to page 30. <clears throat> Guess I should turn to page 30 myself. Um, first paragraph, last, uh, first paragraph, first line. Do you fully concede to your innermost self that you are alcoholic? Yeah. Yes. And you could follow that up with saying, so once you've agreed to that, you know the definition on page 44 of what an alcoholic is. And... I would then say, if you are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday, in 40 years from now, that you will be immune to alcohol or drugs. So you, you I got it. I understand. And that would be the taking of step one. We'll end there tonight.